Okay, so I know Steph, uh, oops, Steph already read this account of Mark's account of what happened on that Sunday when Jesus rose from the dead, but we're going to come and unpack it a little bit together and explore it uh, together. We've, this is actually part of our a series that we've been doing through the season of Lent, uh, a journey that we've been taking through the Gospel of Mark. So we've invited the church here to read through the Gospel over the last 40 days. And uh, the word gospel means good news. So it's the good news of what God has done in and through Jesus, not just for people, but for all of creation. We've been exploring that over the last uh, number of weeks. And it just so happens we've planned it so that it draws to an end on Resurrection Sunday, exploring what Mark says uh, about the resurrection of Jesus. And it's been so helpful for us, I think, I know it's been helpful for me in journeying through this gospel from the very beginning, starting with uh, Jesus' baptism, and then as he enters into his ministry and his teaching, helps us to realise that Easter is not in some sort of a vacuum. It's not an isolated event, it's part of a much bigger story, actually. It's a story that's bigger even than the gospel of Mark. It's a story that is, we read right throughout the beginning of Scripture. But actually journeying through Mark together, I hope has been helpful to realise uh, that it is part of a much bigger story. And as I say, the Gospel of Mark starts with, uh, well actually we've spent time exploring the life of Jesus, starting with his baptism and then looking at the encounters that he had with people, the conversations he had with people, the things he taught, the things he did going around. Uh, and he was preaching that the kingdom of God was coming. Uh, but not only preaching the kingdom, but demonstrating the kingdom by healing uh, the sick uh, and different things um, uh, and, and other things uh, like that. And he was preaching repentance. He was saying, uh, actually, you need to turn from your sins. You need to repent and turn away from your old way of living and receive forgiveness of sins. And that's what we've been exploring over the last number of weeks as we've been journeying through Jesus' life. And looking at the things he taught and the things that he did. But then, uh, as Jesus lived his life, and as Jesus taught the things that he did, he upset an, a, a number within the Jewish community, but really uh, a number of what would have been considered and understood to be the social elite within that community. And he offended them and he angered them with the things that he was saying to the point, the things that he was saying and doing, to the point that they, in partnership with the Roman Empire, with the foreign invaders of their lands, they conspired against Jesus to have him killed, to have him put on trial, accused of blasphemy. And they found him guilty, and they killed him. With a criminal's death, they crucified him on a cross. You see, those... Uh, those social elite, those, those that were so offended and angered by Jesus, they manipulated members of the community, of Jesus' very own community, to view their greatest ally as their enemy. And they killed him. And then when he died, they took his body down, and his body was laid in a tomb, and that stone, as Mike was, I think it was Mike was reading to us, that stone was rolled that tomb was sealed up. And that was on the Friday, and then Saturday comes. Saturday being a day of rest, the Sabbath day, when nothing really happened, just rest and time to contemplate God and worship of God. 
We sometimes think of Saturday as being a, a quiet day. I heard this particular Saturday described by a guy called Zia uh, Moral, I think his name is. He describes it as this, it's after Good Friday and before the Resurrection Sunday. That silence after death and pain. Frozen. Still struggling to process the trauma of the day before. Crushed hope in pieces. Unknown. Neither the intensity of suffering of, of the Friday, nor the hope and joy of the Sunday. No knowledge yet of the empty tomb. And that is where Jesus' followers found themselves on that Saturday. As they rested, that silence in the unknown, not sure what was going to happen next. And again, it was the Sabbath day. They were unable to do anything. There was nothing they could do but rest. But wait. And then Sunday comes. Steph's already read these verses to us, but let's read them again. This is what Mark records for us. It says, when the Sabbath was passed, so we're now on Sunday, on that third day, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek or you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. And there you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, the, the account of the resurrection, this part of the story, if you like, the resurrection, we see in all four of the Gospels. This is the shortest one, Mark's account. Actually, it's a fairly short passage of scripture that I've just read. But although it's a short account, within it is the entirety of the life-changing message of the Gospel. And what I want to ask us today is, as these three women looked for Jesus, what did they find? And that's what we're going to think about in this next bit of time we have together this morning. Now this isn't the first that Mark's told us about Mary, Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome. They've actually appeared earlier on in his writings. If we jump back just a chapter before, we're seeing that actually as Jesus was being crucified, these three ladies, along with another, a number of others, were looking on from a distance, actually witnessing what was happening. And not only that, they'd been with Jesus They've been following Jesus, they've been ministering to Jesus, they've been spending time with Jesus for weeks or months before, when he was spending time in Galilee, before he then came to Jerusalem where he was crucified. So there's a great number of disciples, including many women, including these three that Mark mentions by name, and they were watching on from a distance as Jesus was crucified. But then we're also told, in verse 47, that as as Jesus' body was laid in the tomb and as the stone was rolled over the entrance, 
we see Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of, of, of James, and Salome. They saw where Jesus had been laid. So not only had they seen him be crucified, they were witnesses to the crucifixion, they also saw where his body had been laid. And here we see, uh, and here we see uh, that on this, on this next day, on this Sunday after the Sabbath had passed, they were going to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body with oils and with spices. Now we, I don't know about you, I'm sure it's true for all of us, we often start our day with an expectation of what lies ahead. It sounds like Carrie starts her day with an expectation of word or success, uh, although not that one particular day. But we do, don't we? We start our day with an expectation of what we think is going to happen. Maybe it's not what this day is going to hold, maybe it's what this week will hold, or what this next season of life is. But we have expectations about what is going to happen. And I'm sure for these three ladies, actually, they had expectations about that day as well. And I think we get some clues as to what they were expecting on that particular Sunday. See, they were expecting to go to the tomb and for Jesus' body still to be in there, for him to still be dead. Because they'd gone and they'd bought the spices and they'd bought the oils and everything that they needed in order to anoint and embalm his body. They were also expectant that they were going to need some help. Because between them, they weren't going to be able to roll that stone away. So they were having this conversation, weren't they, uh, as they went. Uh, they, they were talking about actually who is going to roll away the stone for us in order to be able to get to Jesus. There was an obstacle in the way between them and coming to Jesus that they'd already foreseen. And they were trying to think about how do we overcome this obstacle in order to get to where Jesus is and in order to be able to do what we need to do. So they had expectations that Jesus was still dead, that he was still in the tomb, and that someone would need to roll that stone away in order for them to get to him. But their expectations did not match with what they found when they got there. Because what does Mark tell us about what they did find? What they found is that the stone had been rolled away. That obstacle that prevented them from getting to Jesus had been dealt with. It had been moved. It had been rolled away. They also found that Jesus was not there. His body was not there. But there was someone in there. An angel. Who spoke words of hope and comfort and victory to them and to their souls. I was aware of a guy called Rich Velodas. He's a pastor from New York in the States. And he was sharing a little bit about how he was preparing his Easter sermon for this year. And as he was preparing, he was looking at these particular verses, I believe. And he says that when the angel says to the three women at the empty tomb, you are looking for Jesus, he says that is the sermon for that moment. You are looking for Jesus. That was the sermon that the angel was preaching to them. You are looking for Jesus. Mike's already told us that Jesus had already told his followers what was going to happen. Jesus knew that he was going to be crucified. Jesus also knew that on the third day he was going to rise again. He's, he's told them. He's not kept it a secret. In chapter 8 and in chapter 9 of Mark, he says the same. But what's interesting, whereas the, uh, the, the officials and the guards and, and those that had wanted to see Jesus put to death, they were like fearful of what was going to happen because Jesus had said this. Actually, we see that Jesus' disciples and his followers didn't understand what Jesus was saying. 
So even though Jesus had told them what would happen, they hadn't understood what he was trying to tell them. He said, on the third day, I will raise back to life. And the third day is now here. As these women go to the tomb, the third day is now here. But where is everyone else? And why are they expecting Jesus to still be dead if he said that he would raise on the third day? I think it can be quite easy for us to be a little bit hard here on the disciples, on Jesus' followers, on these three women, and think, look, Jesus told you what was going to happen. Did you not hear what he said? But let's think about what they had just gone through over the last couple of days. That Jesus, the one that they'd given everything to, they'd given their lives to follow, they'd put their hope in him as being the one who had promised them that he would deliver them and and save them and rescue them. This one that they'd given everything to, they'd seen him crucified on, on a cross and his dead body laid in a tomb. Imagine the trauma that they were carrying, both in their minds and bearing in their bodies, the grief they must have been experiencing, the loss that they were going through as they processed everything that they had seen and everything that they had heard. And even though they'd heard Jesus say on the third day he would rise, everything that they had seen, they were having to work through and try, what does this mean for us? To be honest, many of them were probably thinking, actually, once this Sabbath is over, maybe we need to get out of here as quickly as we can because this is clearly a hostile place for us. But here, these three women are looking for Jesus as they had been for all those weeks and months before, as they followed him and ministered to him and kept looking to him. They'd been looking for Jesus from afar as they saw his body raised on a cross. They'd been looking for Jesus as they saw his body laid on the tomb. But what they would soon come to realise is that these were places where Jesus had to go, but they were not where uh, these were places where Jesus had to go, sorry, but they were places where Jesus obediently and lovingly went mentioned right at the start that, the, that Jesus was killed because there was a group, those social elite within that community who were angered by what he said. He challenged them. He challenged their understanding of what life was like, of what worship was like. But Jesus didn't go to the cross because they decided he should. Jesus went to the cross because he decided that he would be obedient to the will of the Father. It was even cried out to him, wasn't it, when he was on the cross. If you really are the son of God, take yourself down from him. The reality is he could very well have done that. But he chose to stay. And the reason why is because this is why the life of Jesus that we've been exploring through Mark is so important. Because Jesus lived a life of total obedience to the Father. Only ever doing what he saw the Father doing. Which means that he never, uh, he, he never deviated from from God's purposes or plans for him. And the scriptures say that he who was without sin, he who had never offended God, he who never had any division between himself and God, went to the cross and took our sin there, so that as he died, sin died with him. And so Jesus had to go to pay the price that we could not pay for ourselves. And so at the cross, Jesus deals with sin. Now as 
the angel speaks this Easter sermon. I don't know whether you've really thought of it like that. I'm not sure I have. This angel delivers this sermon at Easter. These women, they realised that the cross and the tomb were places that Jesus had been, but not places where he would remain. Can you imagine? I don't even know if you can imagine everything that they were thinking and feeling as the angel was speaking to them. He says, you seek Jesus who was crucified, but he has risen. He is not here. What that means, because Jesus is risen, it means that sin has been defeated. Because, he's, because he has risen from the dead, it means that death has been overturned. And it means that victory has been won. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Now, Rich Velodas, who I mentioned earlier, who said that actually the sermon for the moment was that you are looking for Jesus. He also goes on to say that that is, that is the sermon for that moment, but it is the sermon for all time. You see, everyone is searching for fulfillment, for satisfaction, for peace, for joy, for love, for forgiveness. I found the Apostle Paul very helpful in helping us to understand what the problem is, why it is that Jesus came, why it is that Jesus had to die on a cross, why it is that Jesus rose from the dead. See, the Apostle Paul says this, speaking right into the church in Rome, speaking of the, the, the people in the nations, he says that claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonouring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature or the created things rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Instead of worshipping God, we turn and worshipped things that God himself has made. Worshipping the created things rather than the creator. Setting those as the primary thing rather than him. And this is a place where we've all found ourselves. That's what the scriptures say. You see, we're all looking ultimately for what can only be found in God through Jesus. So what did Mary, Mary and Salome find when they looked in that empty tomb? What do we find when we do likewise? I think the, the angel in his sermon, he helps us. The first thing is this, he says that there, as we look into the empty tomb, we discover that there is no need to be alarmed or afraid. I think Mike, you'd already touched on that again. It's great when stuff coming through is uh, already what God put on my heart to share. The first words of Easter are this, do not be alarmed. That is the first words of Easter. Because Jesus is risen, do not be alarmed. These three women would have been afraid, no doubt about it. They would have been afraid. Think about everything that has happened over the, the couple of days previous to this one. Everything that they'd seen, everything that they had heard, everything that they had witnessed. How that contradicted everything that they had thought and understood and believed about Jesus. How all of that they felt had been taken away. 
but also now finding that Jesus had gone. How would they have felt? And yet the angel speaks to them. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be alarmed. Their greatest, I would imagine that their greatest fear in that moment, their greatest hurt, the thing that was causing the most distress was that they would never see Jesus again. And yet Jesus is alive. Jesus is no longer in the tomb. And so the angel can say to them, do not be alarmed. Do not be afraid. Your greatest fear has been overcome. Your greatest fear has been undone. You see, that's what Jesus does. He undoes our fears. He undoes our alarm. That is why the resurrection is such good news. You see, it was a word for his followers at that time, but it is also a word for us today because we live in a world that is constantly alarmed. We live in a world that is constantly in fear. And actually, a lot of that is understandable. We're fearful of war and terror, of sickness and of suffering and of so many other things. That is just the state in which the world is and in which the world finds itself. It is hard to face suffering. It is hard to face death. It is hard to do the right thing, especially in the face of opposition, when doing the right thing is going to put you out there and be costly and may even put you in harm's way. It is hard to offer what we have, to give away what we've been given, to give of our money and to give of our material possessions. It can be hard to do that. And Tim Keller, I found really helpful on this, he suggests the reason why is because we think that this broken world is the only world we're ever going to have. Which is why we often live in that place of fear, because we think this is all it's ever going to be. And that there's nothing else beyond this. What will we do if our fears prove to be right? But the gospel says this, the resurrection says this, that God is going to renew this material world. We spent some time as a church. It's come up quite a few times through Mark. We're actually, Mark is saying what Jesus came to do and what Jesus has done is good news not just for people but for all of creation because there's going to be a day when everything that is broken is made new. New heavens and a new earth and the resurrection testifies to that because Jesus came back from the dead, everything else is going to be made new. New life to come. I don't know if you've ever heard of a lady named Fanny Crosby. She was, uh, she was born in the 1800s, died in the early 1900s. She was a poet uh, and um, she wrote hymns. I think she did mission work. Uh, but she, she was blind, I think from, from just a matter of weeks old. Uh, she was blind. And the question often came to her, or the question was asked of her, if you could be healed of your blindness, would you want to be healed of your blindness? And her answer was this, she said, I wouldn't want to be healed. Now, she said, because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Saviour. She lived with an understanding that what was, was broken, if you like, that through Christ and because of Christ would be made new. And all of those things that had been stripped away from her would be given back to her. This is what the gospel promises. That everything that has been broken and corrupted by sin within this world will be undone. I think those 
those verses in Revelation that, that John was reading earlier. It's all sickness and pain and suffering and death. All of those things are going to be undone and done away with. Because Jesus has overcome. You see, the resurrection means that we can live differently. The resurrection means that we do not need to be afraid in whatever situation we face. And I know sometimes that can be easier said than done, but we have to go back and stand on the truth of what the angel says. Do not be alarmed. Do not be afraid. Because Jesus isn't here in the tomb anymore. He is risen. He is alive. And because he lives, we live. Because he lives, we have hope. Because he lives, all things will be made new. And the second thing, the last thing I want to touch on is this. Not only did the angel say that, uh, say that they did not need to be alarmed. He also says this, he says that go. And then go and find Jesus who has gone before you. Jesus, not only has he, has he, has he risen, he has gone before them. He's gone back to Galilee and they would go and they would find him there. Now, for, for those women, as they heard, and any other of Jesus' followers who would have heard this, what would have come to mind is actually uh, very similar words from the Old Testament. Similar words that Moses spoke as he was, uh, just as the people were about to enter into the Promised Land. Moses said this in Deuteronomy 31, verse 8. He said, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you. Or forsake you, do not fear or be dismayed. So, as the angel speaks these words, Jesus is going ahead of you, he will meet you there. There would have been echoes of God's promises that wherever you go, God is always ahead of you. God has always prepared a way for you. God is already waiting for you in that situation, or in that place, or in that opportunity. See, that is true. For them, in the fact that Jesus literally was waiting for them in Galilee, he had gone before them there, but it is true for the here and now. When you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, when you've committed to follow him, God is with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Again, echoes of what the angel said, do not be afraid. You have no reason to be afraid. But it is true not just of the life now, it is true of the life to come. Jesus, in explaining to his disciples about what was going to be happening in the days and weeks ahead, in John chapter 14, uh, Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe, in, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. You see, in Jesus going to the cross, although those who were witnessing and observing what was going on wouldn't have understood it like this, Jesus was going ahead of them. Jesus was going before them to prepare a place in, in his father's house, to do what only he could do, to make a way. For people to come back into fellowship and relationship with God. With that promise that they would live forever with him. You see, Jesus has gone before us. He has made a way for us. In those verses that Luke read to us from 1 Peter 1, really that's what that's saying. 
It speaks about this inheritance that is being kept for us. This inheritance, this wonderful promise of life. New life. Eternal life. Found in Jesus. But it says that this is an, in, an inheritance that has been won for you and is being kept for you in heaven. It's waiting for you. Why? Because Jesus has gone ahead to do what we could not do to secure that life for us. And the Bible as well, it speaks of Jesus as like the, the first fruits. You know, in, in terms of agriculture and crops, the first fruits are when you see the first shoots coming through, you know that the rest is going to follow. And so when a farmer sees that first shoot coming through, it's like, oh, we know the rest is going to come. And Jesus is that for us. He's, a, If you like, we can say he's a preview of what is ahead of us. So when we see the empty tomb and we see that Jesus has been raised from the dead, because Jesus is risen, there is a life available for us. There is hope for us. I heard it put like this once, what happened to Jesus will happen to us and will happen to all things. Because Christ died and rose again, for those who are followers of him, that is true of us, it is true of all things. All things will be made new. Because of Jesus, we have access to a future that God has prepared for the entire world. Now, this morning, uh, my, my daughter had come, straight, uh, come downstairs. And we've got a dog, and she hadn't seen the dog uh, until just before we were about to leave to come here this morning. And she said, <laughs> she looked at the dog and she went, oh, she said, I'd forgotten that you were alive. I was like, it'd been like the day before that she'd seen him. But she said it in such a sweet little way that I think if he'd actually understood what she was saying, he wouldn't have been offended by it. I think it was like quite a nice little thing. She said, oh, you're here. Yeah, I'd forgotten that you were, were alive. But it, it struck me that actually Jesus' call for us is not remember me, it's follow me. And this series that we've been doing through the Gospel of Mark, we've called Follow Me because that is what Jesus invites us to do. That is what Jesus calls us to do. Which means actually daily, it's not just that we're, getting, we're missing what Jesus has done for us. If every now and then we're like, oh Jesus, I forgot that you were alive. Actually, daily we're invited to follow him. Daily we're invited to walk with him. Daily we're invited to learn from him. Daily we're invited to rest in him. Daily we're invited to not be afraid in him. Because Jesus has gone before us. And he's made a way for us. And he calls us to follow. And how do we respond to that? We say yes to Jesus. And we attach our lives to his. So that we know that what happened to Jesus. Will happen to us. That death is not the end. Actually it's the very beginning. Of what Jesus came to do. 